something and everything. My name is Ezra Hill, and my co-host Casey and I are going to be discussing a wide variety of topics from the perspective of two Midwestern middle-aged minds. We're not experts, just everyday ordinary people like you. We hope you might find our podcast inadvertently interesting and informative. Hopefully it'll amount to more than a hill of beans. The story of Jessica O'Grady may appear familiar, but the truth behind this investigation is far from the straightforward narrative presented by the media at the time. As we gather and scrutinize the evidence, the complexities of this case emerge, leaving us with numerous unanswered questions. While it may seem like a mystery that has been solved, We must not forget the lingering enigmas. Join us as we embark on this journey. Now let's explore the life of Jessica O'Grady, a 19-year-old native of Omaha, Nebraska. Jessica shared an apartment with two friends and took up a job as a waitress at a local Lone Star restaurant while also pursuing her education at the University of Nebraska. Her academic journey led her to her major in social studies, with dreams of becoming a teacher. In her quest for personal growth and experience, she even took on a part-time position at a daycare center. It was here that her passion for childhood education blossomed, a commitment she showcased by volunteering as the coach for her niece's softball team. In the spring of 2006, Jessica was taking a semester off of her studies, preferring to work for some extra cash. She was also taking some time to enjoy her social life. After a year and a half long high school relationship had just come to an end. Jessica was free to pursue other relationships and to fall for a new man. Christopher Edwards, who worked alongside her as a bartender at the Lone Star in Omaha, had caught her eye. Christopher had also attended the University of Nebraska, but had dropped out of college in a favor of making more money at work. He worked a lot of hours at the restaurant aiming for a promotion into management. In the meantime, he lived with his Aunt Jane, where a separate entrance and the basement allowed him and afforded him for a bit of independence. Christopher and Jessica hit it off at work, and they began seeing each other. It had only been a few months, but in early of May 2006, Jessica delivered to Christopher the happy news that she was pregnant. On Friday the 12th of May 2006, Jessica did not turn up for her scheduled shift at the Lone Star. By this time, friends and family members had been trying to connect with Jessica, but failing. Thursday morning, it slowly began to emerge that no one in Jessica's life had seen or heard from her throughout that time. Concerning behavior exhibited by a close friend, niece, and daughter, who had been in near daily contact with Jessica, triggered alarm bells. In response, her family promptly alerted authorities. 
Jessica's aunt, Shauna Stansel, with whom she shared a strong bond with, had last encountered her niece following a softball game on the evening of Wednesday the 10th. However, Jessica's absence at the subsequent scheduled game on the following Sunday raised suspicions. Shauna diligently attempted to reach out to Jessica, as many of her friends did, in an effort to locate her, but the endeavors yielded fruitless leads. Adding to the growing sense of dread was the discovery that Jessica had not collected her most recent paycheck. Her personal belongings remained untouched in her apartment, and even her beloved feline companion Zoe, whom she affectionately referred to as her baby, appeared to have been left unattended. Despite Jessica's phone, purse, and car being conspicuously absent, there was no plausible scenario in which the normally cheerful expectant mother would have willingly vanished. Nearly a week after the last sighting of Jessica, a local entrepreneur stumbled upon her small hatchback Hyundai Accent parked in a lot across from the street of where Jessica worked. Notably, the car keys were nowhere to be found. Extensive efforts were made to examine the vehicle for fingerprints and collect DNA samples, all of which yielded no results. Moreover, there was no evidence to suggest that Jessica had driven the car to this location, and the absence of the security cameras in this vicinity left no means of capturing any images of the vehicle or its potential driver. The discovery of the vehicle marked a significant turning point in the investigation. Law enforcement swiftly gained access to Jessica's phone records, and they tried to trace her last documented movements. On the evening of the 10th, the final day anyone reported seeing Jessica, a group of friends had congregated at her apartment. They engaged in conversation with Jessica and enjoyed pizza together. According to these friends, Jessica remained engrossed in texting throughout the evening and frequently discussing Christopher Edwards. Jessica harbored optimism about her relationship and impending motherhood. She had initiated the use of prenatal vitamins, eagerly anticipating the journey into motherhood. Following a phone call she received later that night, Jessica prepared herself by taking a shower, doing her hair and putting her makeup on, and then departing the apartment. This occurred around 11 to 11.15 p.m. Her intended destination was to go to Christopher Edwards' residence, approximately an eight-mile drive from her apartment. Her final phone activity displayed a call to her friend Carrie at 11.30 p.m., followed by a call to Christopher approximately 20 minutes later. During the 11.30 call, Jessica informed her friend that she was en route to Christopher's. The last text message Jessica sent to Carrie was at 12.20 a.m. This text message from Jessica read, No shenanigans for Jessica. According to Carrie, this message was a code they used when referring to intimate encounters with their boyfriends. And so she interpreted it to mean that Jessica had changed her mind for the night. However, she did not respond, and her subsequent morning calls went unanswered. The subsequent attempts to reach Jessica were instantly redirected to her voicemail. Her last recorded baking transactions took place earlier that day. 
Following this point, Jessica O'Grady seemingly vanished without a trace. Law enforcement, with the support of numerous volunteers, initiated extensive searches in the days following her disappearance. Unfortunately, these efforts yielded no clues. In the dense, tree-covered, and rugged terrain in the surrounding areas, posed challenges for the search parties. It also offered potential opportunities for a perpetrator to dispose of any evidence or a body. Over 150 acres encompassing Cunningham Lake were meticulously combed, and search teams scouted the muddy banks and sandy shores along the Elkhorn River. And here is the part that gets really crazy. Meanwhile, during these search operations, Christopher Edwards was spending the weekend with another girl, a girl that he called his girlfriend. However, it wasn't Jessica O'Grady. Instead, it was a long-term girlfriend, Michelle Wilkin. Michelle and Christopher had initially crossed paths while working at the same restaurant in 2005 forming a friendship that eventually turned romantic. By January 2006, Michelle had become pregnant, and the relationship appeared to be exclusive, at least from her perspective. Let's back up to May 8th. On the evening of May 8th, just two days before Jessica's disappearance, Michelle and Christopher had discussed plans to get married. Christopher was on the verge of becoming a father to two children, each from different women. These two women did not know about each other. Michelle, the woman he intended to marry, remained entirely unaware of his involvement with Jessica, let alone the fact that Jessica was also expecting his child. Michelle, being oblivious to the extensive search underway, spent the days following Jessica's disappearance in Christopher's basement bedroom, completely unaware of the developments within a mile radius of the house. Shauna Stansel, Jessica's aunt, was on a quest to find Jessica. She made a stop at the Lone Star restaurant, engaging in conversations with multiple employees. She even stopped and talked to Christopher Edwards. During this encounter, Christopher assured her that he had no knowledge of Jessica's whereabouts. He went on to reveal that he hadn't seen her since Tuesday, the 9th of May. According to him, their plans for the following Wednesday night had fallen through, and he had not crossed paths with Jessica on the particular evening as initially intended. This account that Christopher shared with Shauna, Jessica's aunt, is the same thing that he also told the police. Law enforcement wanted to check out Christopher's place. In their first visit, they operated without a warrant, assuring Christopher that any areas he preferred to remain off limits would be respected. Initially hesitant, Christopher let them go ahead and check the place, but retained control over the process. During this time, when the police were there, Christopher clarified that a minor blood stain visible on the mattress surface was merely menstrual blood. However, upon lifting the mattress, law enforcement discovered a more extensive stain covering the majority of its underside. From this, a formal search warrant was secured for the residence. 
initiating a 10-hour examination of the premises. Now that they had a formal search warrant, this was going to be led by David Kovic, a renowned exceptional leader in the CSI unit for Douglas County. He had played pivotal roles in uncovering critical evidence in prominent homicide cases, earning him a reputation as a distinguished CSI supervisor. Christopher Edwards underwent a comprehensive processing procedure during which authorities collected hair samples, fingerprints, nail clippings, and DNA. On the night of the investigation, nearly 200 photographs were taken inside his residence. Meticulously documenting various areas such as the basement bedroom, walls, ceilings, and even the garage. Notably in the bedroom, traces of blood splatter, some of which was discernible without enhancement, were meticulously cataloged dispersed across the vicinity surrounding the bed. In response to these findings, Christopher provided an explanation attributing these stains to a recent wrist injury where he had sustained a few days prior. The room was subjected to the application of luminol, revealing stains on both the walls and the ceilings. These stains, along with those on the wall, had been hastily and inadequately concealed beneath the layers of the white paint. The blood discovered throughout the room was conclusively matched to Jessica O'Grady's DNA profile. There were things that raised suspicion, like the replacement of pillows and bed sheets, the flipping of the mattress, and also the scented candles which had been lit to mask any lingering odors. This cleanup attempt by Christopher fell short of thorough. It undeniably constituted an effort to obscure the events that had transpired in that room. Additionally, a black trash bag was uncovered in the garage. It contained two towels stained with blood and a receipt from a drugstore. Investigators obtained that surveillance footage. They captured Christopher going into that drugstore around 7.30 p.m. on Thursday, May 11th. During that visit, he purchased poster paint, white shoe polish, and a correction fluid. Significantly, the chemical composition of the poster paint was found to be identical to that on his bedroom ceiling. Substantial gaps existed in this case against Christopher. Jessica remained missing and no potential murder weapon had surfaced. Given the nearly week-long period before the discovery of the mattress in Christopher's room, there had been ample time for evidence disposal. The volume of blood within the house indicated that Jessica had not departed the premises alive, raising critical questions regarding how Christopher could have removed her body from the house. Considering the layout of the basement, there's only two possible exit routes. One is a very narrow storm window, and it was rolled out due to the size and means of egress. This left only one option, and that was the staircase. But given Christopher's physical stature weighing only 135 pounds, it was highly improbable that he could have acted alone in relocating Jessica. Also, the notable absence of blood drippings or drag marks deepened this mystery, suggesting that an unknown party had assisted. 
The Douglas County Sheriff's Department suspected Christopher Edwards, but Nebraska had never secured a murder conviction without the recovery of the victim's body. Law enforcement decided at this point to go back out and return to the residence. With them, they brought David Covid. Remember this all-star rock star that was great at solving crimes and finding things that other people could not. Remarkably and significantly, for the investigation, COVID discovered two small dried blood stains in the upper trunk frame of Christopher's car. One stain was discreetly located in the upper gas casket, making it nearly invisible from any angle outside the trunk, while the second one was found on the other side of the trunk. These stains had been overlooked by two previous CSI team members during the initial investigation search. Additionally, inside Christopher's bedroom, they also found a pair of ceremonial swords, often referred to as a samurai sword. They somehow missed this during the initial investigation, and now they're considering it to be the likely murder weapon. Several other small knives were also collected for testing during the second search. Examinations of the swords and the knives examined by the laboratory at the University of Nebraska yielded results that would prove pivotal in this investigation. The new small dried samples extracted from the trunk of Christopher's car produced a positive match to Jessica O'Grady. Also, testing the tip of the sword, there was also presence of Jessica's DNA and the knives that were also collected, despite initially testing negative for DNA, now exhibited Jessica's DNA. Now, at this point, investigators concluded that the sword must have served as the murder weapon. According to this new evidence, they had put together a grim theory of the murder. According to their findings, Jessica had been attacked while she slept on Christopher's bed on the night of May 10th. Christopher had transported her body upstairs and into the garage eventually placing her in the trunk of his vehicle and disposing of her remains at an undisclosed location. He then later abandoned Jessica's vehicle in a parking lot near the restaurant where she worked. After everything came to light after the second investigation of Christopher Edwards' place, Christopher Edwards was formally charged with the murder of Jessica O'Grady. At that time, a plea deal was extended to him contingent on him revealing the location of where he had left Jessica's body. If he would have said yes to this, the potential sentence would have been 10 to 20 years, with the possibility of parole as early as five years into his term. However, Christopher declined the offer. His father, Bob Edwards, apparently had so much confidence that a jury would not convict his son without the victim's body that he urged him to reject any plea offer for reduced sentencing. Michelle Wilkin, now the mother of Christopher's baby, asserted her lack of awareness regarding the condition of the mattress during her stay with Christopher in the days following Jessica's disappearance. The trial commenced in late of March 2007. At that time, she remained completely uninformed about any connection 
with Jessica and Christopher. Also, testimonies from Christopher's Aunt Jane and teenage cousin corroborated that they were at home the night of May 10th and heard no unusual noises in the basement during that period. Following 11 hours of deliberation, the jury rendered a verdict. Christopher Edwards was found guilty of second-degree murder and the use of a deadly weapon. This marked the first successful no-body trial in the state's history. Christopher Edwards received a sentence of 80 years to life for second-degree murder in addition to a 20-year sentence for a deadly weapon conviction, with the sentences to be served consecutively. The search for Jessica's body persisted for years, even after Christopher's conviction, involving thousands of hours and 46 different missions. During these efforts, a hole was discovered near Cunningham Lake, prompting speculation that Christopher had attempted to dig a hole or a burial site, possibly using the single shovel that was found in his car. However, it appeared that the hole had been abandoned after facing difficulties and possibly leaving Jessica's body in the water. When Christopher appeared in court to appeal his conviction, he had transformed physically with longer hair and tattoos reflecting the time spent in prison. At the same time, new light was being shed on David Covid. David Covid was part of the initial investigation on Christopher, and he was the CSI supervisor called out that second time to reinvestigate the premises. David Covid had just been convicted of manufacturing evidence in another case. Prior to David Covid's conviction, Covid had gained fame for his success in uncovering evidence when no one else could. However, his miraculous discoveries came into question in two separate murder cases in neighboring counties during the same year as Jessica's disappearance. Covid was found to have planted blood samples in critical locations at crime scenes. Covid's actions were exposed when additional evidence, including a confession, definitely proved the innocence of those wrongly accused. A generous interpretation of the blood found in Christopher's car suggests it may have been a small transfer stain. More likely, it resulted from a diluted blood sample applied to the trunk's interior by David Covid. Investigators expected to find more extensive staining if Jessica had been placed there after the attack further challenging the state's theory. Somebody else examined that car before COVID, just as they did in the other cases. However, no evidence was found from the Douglas County Sheriff's Department. During the time of his first appeal, nonetheless, the Court of Appeals concluded that despite Christopher's claims of fabricated evidence, there was sufficient proof of his guilt. If you remove this evidence as if it had never been presented, would there still be enough evidence for a jury to convict him? The court determined there was, thus affirming the conviction. By the time of COVID's arrest and conviction, he had contributed to 17 convictions in murder cases, as well as convictions for various other violent offenses. All his cases were reopened and as of my last research update, 
Six of those 17 convictions have been overturned, including the O'Grady and Stock cases. Following an appeal, Christopher Edwards' conviction was upheld, prompting a fresh investigation into Jessica's disappearance. In February of 2020, Christopher Edwards was declared wrongfully convicted by the Innocence Project. His murder conviction was overturned and he was released from prison on February 19, 2020. Jessica O'Grady's family remains without justice as her body has yet to be located. The case remains open with investigators actively pursuing any new leads that may illuminate the events of that fateful night in May of 2006. Jessica O'Grady's case serves as a chilling reminder of the complexities and challenges that arise in a no-body murder case. While Christopher Edwards was initially convicted based on forensic evidence, his release due to the misconduct of a key investigator has left many questions unanswered, and Jessica's family continues their quest for closure. If you possess any information regarding the disappearance of Jessica O'Grady, please contact the authorities to help provide her family with the answers they desperately seek. That concludes today's episode with the Hill of Beans. If you found this episode intriguing and informative, Please like and share and subscribe to our podcast for more thought-provoking true crime content. Thank you for joining us and we'll be back soon with another intriguing case to explore. This is Casey with the Hill of Beans.